Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. Well, we're going to continue looking at the Lord's Prayer today. And I, in my studies and research this week, I came across a great quote from the, one of the greatest writers of the 20th century, Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut writes this, while Einstein's theory of relativity may one day put Earth on the intergalactic map, it will always run a distant second to the Lord's Prayer, whose harnessing of energies in their proper life-giving direction surpasses even the discovery of fire. The Lord's Prayer, whose harnessing of energies in their proper life-giving direction surpasses even the discovery of fire. And I think the passage we're going to look at today, uh, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors, speaks to these life-giving energies, these resources that are provided to us that are more important than even the discovery of fire. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great prayer that you have given us. We ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. We acknowledge it's hard to forgive. It's challenging. Sometimes it's challenging to receive forgiveness. So we pray that you might help us receive and offer forgiveness to others as you only can do. So we pray the prayer you taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus offers another another warning about forgiveness, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever experienced the power of forgiveness? Have have you ever been called to forgive? It can be hard to forgive, right? That person who scratched your new car, forgive? The quarterback who threw the interception to lose your team's game, forgive? How about that that eight-month-old who had double ear infections who decided to share them with you this week? Forgive? Forgiveness can be hard to forgive can be a challenge. It can be hard to forgive. My grandfather grew up in Montana. In Missoula, Montana, he was tough and cantankerous, but he had a big heart and with a, with a wry wit. And I never met his first wife, my grandma. Uh, she died when my dad was in his early 20s. And my dad would tell the story of what happened. She had rheumatoid arthritis, and she went to Seattle for a routine operation. They were going to take some bone out of her hip to replace somewhere else. Excuse me, but the the surgeon who was doing the surgery didn't notice that he nicked an artery when he was in there, sewed her back up, and by the time they discovered his mistake, it was too late. 
And she died of internal bleeding over the next several months. My grandfather was devastated. My dad was devastated. His little sister was devastated. What, What could they do? Would they have the power to forgive? We live in a world that is desperately in need of forgiveness. People are wrestling with shame, with guilt. They need forgiveness. Today's sermon is basically a summation of Miroslav Volf, who's a Yale theologian. His uh, book for a popular audience called Free of Charge, Giving and Forgiving in a Culture Stripped of Grace. Free of charge, giving and forgiving in a culture stripped of grace. Oh, the possibility to forgive. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven the debts of others. This kind of forgiveness can bring a revolution in the relations of humankind. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There are really three claims in this prayer, in this line. Number one, God forgives. Number two, we are called to forgive. And number three, we are called to forgive as God forgives. So number one, God forgives. The caricature or stereotype of the God of the Old Testament is often that he's wrathful and angry and judgmental. But I think upon closer reflection, upon a a close reading of the Old Testament, you'll see that that is not fair. That's actually not the case. Take the the instance of the, the first humans, Adam and Eve, living in the Garden of Eden. Remember, they're living in perfect harmony with one another, with with the animals there, with the vegetation. They have got it made. And God says, you can enjoy anything in the garden. Enjoy yourselves. Have a great time. Just don't eat from this tree. Like, And how easy would it have been to enjoy yourself and not eat from that tree? But like human beings have done for millennia, they say, no, we got to try from the tree we can't eat from. And so they do. And there is a consequence for their disobedience. God comes and says, you must be cast away east of Eden. You must leave the Garden of Eden. And all of a sudden they come to moral consciousness and they recognize what they've done is evil. And they recognize that they're naked, they're cold, they're alone, they're vulnerable. And they're shivering there. And God looks down. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in this story, it's this great note of grace at the end of this story where God fashions clothes for them out of animal skin. He recognizes their vulnerability, their neediness, and he comes and he covers them for protection. Yes, there is a consequence for your disobedience, but there is grace for the journey. Grace for the journey ahead. There's also grace for the journey for the Israelites. Moses goes to the slaves who are in Egypt and liberates them. They're liberated from captivity and they go and they head out towards the promised land. God provides food for them. He leads them. But it doesn't take too long until they start to grumble. They start to doubt. They experience hardness of heart, the text says. They start worshiping false gods. What are you going to do? And God forgives them again and again over 40 years in the wilderness. For the rest of Israelite history, you see the prophets come. 
Say there's consequences for your disobedience, but there is grace and forgiveness if you will repent, if you will turn. The Old Testament, when it talks about God's wrath, the greatest theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, says that we should interpret God's wrath as the burning fire of God's love. God's wrath is the burning fire of God's love. Yes, there are consequences for sin, but there is grace for the journey ahead. There's grace, there's forgiveness, if you will receive it. And so it is in that great tradition that Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We should forgive. God forgives and we should forgive. We acknowledge we've all been wronged. There are real debts that are owed to us. And we are called to forgive. Now first, I think we need to understand this idea of debts. Now, in my previous church, before I came to RPC, I believe we used uh, trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's how we prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I always really didn't like it because I didn't think it was a fair uh, translation of that Greek word that we translate debts. And so I felt so uh, thankful when I came to RPC and we used the right word, debts. <laughs> and one of the reasons is this. Usually, um, there are three words. You can either use debts or you can use trespasses or sins. And trespasses and sins are great for what theologians call sins of commission. Sins of commission are the things you do wrong. When you lie, when you cheat, when you steal. These are sins you commit. When you wrong someone else, when you offend God. Okay? These are sins of commission. And I think trespasses and sins does a fair, fairly good job of representing that meaning. But when it comes to a different kind of sin, what theologians call sins of omission. Sins of omission. These are things we ought to do that we fail to do. That God requires us of us, but we fail to do them. See, when we don't do those things, we fall into, get into debt with God and with one another. And I think forgive us our debts kind of encapsulates the situation that we are in. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are in debt to God and to neighbor. We're in we need forgiveness. We live in a world that desperately needs forgiveness. The great writer Ernest Hemingway began his short story, The Capital of the World, with this story. Madrid is full of boys named Paco, which is diminutive of the name Francisco. And there is a Madrid joke about a father who came to Madrid and inserted an advertisement in the personal columns of El Liberal, the newspaper there, which said, Paco, meet me at Hotel Mont Montana, noon Tuesday, all is forgiven, Papa. And how a squadron of Guardia Civil, the army, had to be called out to disperse the 800 young men who answered the advertisement. Now Hemingway uses this kind of anecdote at the beginning of his short story for two reasons. One, he wants to make a little joke about how many Pacos live in Madrid. But the more important point is, how many little boys named Paco are in need of forgiveness? There are so many of us in our world who need forgiveness. 
God forgives. We are called to forgive. So how can we forgive as God forgives? I think first, we have to understand how we've been forgiven. We have to experience God's grace and God's forgiveness for ourselves, and then out of the wellspring of that grace and forgiveness, it flows into other people's lives. In Luke 10, a lawyer comes to Jesus. He was well-versed in the law, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, well, what... What does this say in your law? What is written there? And this man would have been an expert in the Old Testament. So he quotes, he summarizes from the book of Deuteronomy, what God's call, what God's will is for human life. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Notice that. You should love God with your whole entire being. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now, a lot of people kind of consider this um, gentle suggestions from Jesus. But if we understand it as a real claim, as a real command, where, God, where Jesus is setting the bar and saying, you're required with your whole being to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're like me, you get a little nervous reading that passage. You have to confront your failure to, to really love God as you ought and to love your neighbor as yourself. One of the people most scared by the seriousness of God's command and his failure to live up to it was the 16th century Augustinian monk named Martin Luther. Luther, as he was looking back on his life as a young man, he, he wrote at one point, In the monastery, I did not think about women, money, or possessions. Instead, my heart trembled and fidgeted about whether God would bestow his grace on me. He was worried about his failure to live up to the moral law, to love God with his whole heart and his whole being and to love his neighbor as himself. And let me tell you, Luther was a guy who sat around praying and reading scripture. It wasn't like he was living a wild life out there. But yet even he wrestled with his guilt, with his shame, with his debt. We all owe God our full love of our entire being and to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that's why we can pray with the Apostle Paul alongside Martin Luther. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As he says in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in debt to God, so what are we going to do? Well, the good news of the Christian gospel is that God has come in Jesus Christ to pay our debt and forgive it and to release us into new life where we need not be defined by guilt and shame but by grace and God's forgiveness as accomplished in Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, you see stories all over of Jesus forgiving people. Matthew 9 is a great story where he comes to a certain town and he comes across a paralytic man. And he comes up to him and he says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And there are some scribes that hear him say this and they become kind of indignant. And they say, who does this guy think he is? Forgiving sins, only God can do that. So Jesus turns to them and says, well, so you can see that I have power to forgive sins. How about if I tell him to take up his mat and walk? How will that do for you? And so he turns to the young man and says, take up your mat and walk. 
And he says, I have done that to show you, just as I have power to help someone walk, I have the authority and the power to forgive sins. So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Or take Jesus on the cross as he's crucified in that howering story. As he's there with nails in his arms and his feet. He's been brutally tortured and abused. And he looks out and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If there was any time he could have brought judgment, vengeance, anger, it would have been at that moment, but he chooses to forgive. And I think he chose from the very beginning to forgive. He knew that he would forgive. There's a story about the creation of the world. It's claimed to be rabbinic in origin. It says that before God created the world, the Almighty looked out on the, the future of his creation. And he saw beauty, truth, and goodness. But as he looked out on the future, he also saw, saw great evil and misdeeds, small and large. He saw tears despair and woe. And he said, if I'm, if I'm going to give sinners their due, ought I create just to destroy? And then he says, no. Before I create, I will choose to forgive. And only because I've forgiven, then I will create. And so God had chose before creating to forgive the world for its disobedience. God is a God of forgiveness. This is throughout the New Testament. Jesus is said to be at the foundations of the world, chosen to forgive. Or John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What is that Word? That in Jesus Christ, God would choose to pay our debts, to forgive us. And so how do we represent that to the world? We forgive one another. And in forgiving one another our debts, we represent, we point to the fact that we have received God's grace and God's forgiveness in our own lives. God has forgiven us all in Jesus Christ. In that passage I read earlier, Romans 3, 23 through 25, Paul begins, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the problem. Listen to what he writes after that. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. Jesus has paid the debt that we owed. We owe it and don't owe it anymore. And how do we receive the benefits of that forgiveness? We live by faith and trusting in God's forgiveness and God's grace. The musician, Nick Cave, recently started publishing an e-newsletter where he answers his fans' questions. And Nick Cave is an interesting guy. He um, is very open about the struggles he's gone through in his life. He talks about his drug addiction and his struggle to stay sober. He talks about the death of one of his sons when he was a teenager. He talks about the love he has for his wife and as they wrestle and have wrestled with their lives. Mel from Trenton, New Jersey, wrote Nick asking, how do you forgive somebody whom you love very much but has done something truly terrible? And this is a question that all of us probably could ask at some point in our lives. And I like Nick's response. He says this, 
And I summarize, forgiveness can prevent us from becoming the living definition of the injury that has been inflicted upon us, from being consumed by anger, pain, resentment, and bitterness. Let me read that again. Forgiveness can prevent us from becoming the living definition of the injury that has been inflicted upon us, from being consumed by anger, pain, resentment, and bitterness. In other words, forgiveness offers freedom. Freedom from being defined by what has happened to you. Freedom from being trapped by your past. Forgiveness offers freedom. There's an RPC member who's happened to find out and discover that he is a huge Nick Cave fan and he's been reading these letters too. And so I asked him about this recent one about forgiveness. I said, what do you make of it? And I asked for his permission to share with you and he said, it's actually funny. I write a, a letter to my children, each of my kids every year. And last year I wrote a letter about forgiveness. And what I told my kids were, no matter what you say, in this house, no matter how mean or nasty it is, you can always ask for forgiveness. And when you ask for forgiveness, you will be forgiven. It will be like you never said it. You will not be defined by your past, but you will experience the freedom that only comes from forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is why Jesus asks us to pray it. After my grandma died, after that surgeon's accident, my grandfather was devastated, my dad was, his little sister. I've heard that story many times, and finally I gathered the courage to ask my dad. I said, Dad, what did Grandpa do after you know, his wife died? And he said, your grandpa said, this surgeon unfortunately has destroyed my life. There's no way I want to go and destroy his. And he chose to forgive. It was a powerful testimony to the power of forgiveness. The interesting thing is, is my grandfather, as far as I know, never made a claim or an expression of, of faith. So I often wonder, I kind of, kind of like to imagine that my grandpa went up to the pearly gates and Jesus came up to him and asked him to give an account for his life. I can imagine my grandfather returning to the words of the Lord's Prayer, saying, you know, I never trusted in you in life, Jesus, but you did say, forgive me my debts as I also have forgiven my debtors. And I bet Jesus did forgive him. Why? Because we see in Jesus that God is a God of forgiveness. That was a good good news for my grandfather. That's good news for all of us. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are a God of grace and forgiveness. We pray that we might use that grace, that newfound life that we find in you to forgive and be gracious to others, that that transforming power might be released in the world and people might experience the good news that can only be found in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.